Lord, we're looking at this, um, this emotion of anger and thinking about from anger to peacemaking. You said, blessed are the peacemakers. They should be called sons of God. We're most like you, Lord, when we live not with anger, but we make peace. And so grant us grace for this, Lord. We pray that tonight you would continue just to, to shape us, to um, strengthen us, to give us courage and uh, a determination in a way, Lord, to be those who would work for peace. Pray you'd bless our time this evening, here present and those online, and that you'd reveal yourself in new ways, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Anyone can become angry, that is easy. But to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not so easy. So, a little bit of study. Just go down the list if you've not already done so again. Join a, a table that's already got one or two bodies at it, I think. I think we're thin on the ground. We're thin on the ground. So, quick questions quickly. Is that true or is that false? Yeah. That's all. So let's, um, let's take a look at these questions then. And here's what I want to encourage you. You know, as we're reflecting about this, most of this is kind of common sense in a way. Most of this, um, you know, is not brand new revelation. But there is a reality that it's a challenge for us to actually process and deal with anger well. It's a powerful emotion. Um, it's an important emotion, actually. It's a, it's a valid emotion, but we get stuck in it. And uh, what we're talking about tonight, as much as what we're talking about other nights, is less about necessarily giving you information, but hopefully it's kind of inspiring you and encouraging you to be those who work on this in yourself and also help other people do that. That's, that's a different thing altogether. I may know all the biblical truth in the world, but the question is, does it change my life? Do I live different? Do people experience me differently because of that truth? And do I help others to live into that more fully for their, for their own freedom? And that's what we're trying to get to. And that's why actually journeying with people, that's why processing this stuff, talking with others, when you feel one of these emotions, actually don't ignore that because it's the body telling you something's gone wrong. In the sense of not the emotions wrong, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an indication of something in a relational sense that has happened that's unloving. It's important that we respond to those things. So, that given, I should never become angry, so I'll allow myself to be angry. That is false. Anger is a very valid and important emotion. Um, in fact, it's impossible really to never become angry <laughs> if we're human. If we're godlike, God himself gets angry. And um, it's actually not good for us to suppress anger. Um, sometimes we can misunderstand anger because we see it, and particularly when we're growing up, we, we may experience it. Sat down with so many people who talk about um, the household they grew up in. It's an angry place, and people react to that in all sorts of different ways. Um, Interesting enough, my dad was less of a one to express anger. My mum was one who would kind of lose it. Three boys, talking about that this morning. And, um, and, and often in her anger, she would just look for something to hit us with. 
because she was angry about the disruption in the house to her. Sorry? She But sometimes when we see anger, you know, people lashing out like that, our response can be, well, I'm, I'm never going to be like that. And we kind of go in the opposite direction. We think we've got to restrain any form of expression of anger. So anger is not sin. <laughs> That's important. Uh, but what because quite, quite literally, it's, it's, uh, it's an indication of something unjust that has happened. Something, um, that's why God gets angry when his people don't respond in love to his love for them. Don't do as he asks them or commands them. And uh, that's what happens in a loving relationship when there's, uh, you know, we kind of go outside of the lines. So, a bit like a smoke detector. It's an alert that something has happened that needs um, attention. So, anger can become sin, pretty obviously. True. Anger can. In your anger, do not sin, is what Paul encouraged us, us to um, pay attention to. And by and large, our anger becomes sin when we don't deal with it well, when we don't express it appropriately and deal with it as we're meant to. And we'll talk about that. There is a way to deal with it. And uh, for all of us, you know, anger can become like this malignant cancer within us that starts to destroy us. And, you know, that's what mutates into bitterness, hatred. That's why Jesus said, you know, anyone who's angry with his brother is guilty of murder because you're putting a wedge between the relationship. And you're disassociating yourself, which is what we do. And God is interested in connection. And, uh, and love, obviously. So, I often get angry and that's okay. True or false? They're both bits together. Um, since I've spoken to a number of people in this fellowship who struggle with anger. It's a reality. And, uh, and often because we've not actually learned how to deal with it well. So... Um, it's not okay to regularly get angry um, unless we're in a situation where we put ourselves in a place where we're constantly being hurt by people. So, um, everyone should be slow to become angry, James says. Uh, in the sense of there should be a sense of self-control, an ability to absorb some of the things that are happening and respond appropriately. Love is not easily angered. What do you think Paul meant when he said that? Love is not easily angered. There's some grace. Yeah, there's some space to um, maybe absorb some of what's happening. Part of, part of loving is a recognition that if we're loving a person, we're loving someone's imperfect and who has every likelihood of making me angry at some point. And love says, I'm, I'm willing to accept that because I'm no different. Um, and actually what's important is the relationship. Love covers a multitude of sins. That's right, because love is willing to embrace irrespective of the fact that there's imperfection.
The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in love, the psalmist says. That's a quality that we are beneficiaries of, hopefully pleased to experience. So, in that sense, in a way, anger should be the exception rather than the norm. Jesus occasionally became angry, but it wasn't the norm. It was really those who stretched him to the limit uh, because he expressed this being slow to anger. And in that, in that way, what, he, what we've got to try and allow ourselves to do, as he did, is to allow our compassion to override that, which I think is what we're talking about when we, we give grace to people, when we make space for who they are. And so patience is an important quality because love is also patient. The meaning of that literally is just to be willing to suffer for some time. What helps us in minimizing our anger response is that we, um, we learn to differentiate between actions that require different measures of emotional response. If we respond to everything in the same fashion, it's an indication that we're sort of out of control with our emotion. So we've got to differentiate between major and minor issues, not to overreact to the minor ones. It's like when you're raising children, you know, you, you can't fight over everything. Some things you just got to let go. Otherwise, it just becomes a war zone. Well, same true in, human, in any human relationship. So we got some... Uh, this list here, which of the following situations are probably just cause for getting angry? Put across by the ones you think require or would be reasonable for us to be angry to some measure. Down the bottom of the page there. One to ten, where would you put yourself? Are you quick or slow to get angry? Where would you put the, the X on the line? <laughs> on the scale of one to ten. Depends. <laughs> In a general sense, when it's an appropriate response. And then try and think about, well, why did I put myself there? What, what is it that contributes to my being either slow or quick or medium or wherever you put yourself? Let's just make a note about that, and in a bit we'll just get you to talk about that at the table. Okay, I'll have a chance to uh, make some notes. Um, the more godly I become, the less often I'll become angry. Is that true or false? <laughs> Probably true. Probably true. Um, 
Yeah, it's, it's kind of a bit true and false, perhaps. Yeah. You know, it kind of falls in a, in a bit of a gray area. That's right. We may give ourselves to people. We may take more risks relationally. We may expose ourselves to being hurt and therefore um, become angry or disappointed because of that. Sorry? Age plays a role. In what sense? That would be good, wouldn't it? And that's a good principle. Don't think it's guaranteed. But it should be true, I think. We, we should mellow out a little bit. We should start to see what's of value and importance. And that ultimately it's about relationship and people. Um, but it's not always the case. So part of growing as a Christian in terms of godliness is to nurture, you know, fruit of the Spirit in, is patience. So we should be becoming more patient with people and um, more gentle. Part of the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness, meekness. And so um, we get affected by things, but our reaction may not be quite the same. So maturity and growth is in godliness doesn't protect us from pain and anger. It helps us deal with it better. And that's largely what we're talking about in, this, uh, in these, these workshops here. Redheads have a genetic disposition or predisposition toward anger. True. <laughs> Most of them. What do you think? Um, we're not even going there. <laughs> There, I don't think there's any such thing as a, as a biological inclination toward anger. Um, you know, our, our response to anger can be learned behavior. <laughs> we can grow up in an environment where we see people who respond with anger, and we can take on those patterns of behavior, but it's not our biology. It affects us biologically when we do, but that's because of our response. All right, last one. When I'm angry... It's okay to spew on just about anyone. It's okay to spew on just about anyone if I'm genuinely angry. I think that's a false. Um, it's not appropriate to just arbitrarily spew whatever we're feeling on anyone who happens to be around. Now, ironically, Quite often, the people closest to us are the ones who can bear the brunt of our anger, even when they're not responsible, because we often take greatest license with those who are closest to us. We feel like we have to less be, hold things in, and, uh, and unfortunately, we cause the greatest pain to those closest. So we've got this example here. Larry has a rough day at the office. But he bit his tongue because he didn't want to make matters worse. But on the way home, he got a speeding ticket. <laughs> In the first 30 minutes after coming home, he scolds his son because he forgot to take out the trash. He ignores his daughter's obvious plea for attention and speaks harsh words to his wife for no apparent reason. What's wrong with this scenario? <laughs> Seems fine to me. <laughs> So let's just take some time at your table and I want you to just reflect about the list that started on the previous page 
of what, what is an appropriate anger response, or, or which circumstances it's appropriate to, to be angry and to express that. And then talk a little bit about where you are on the scale, and then this, this, this scenario here. So let's, um, let's take about 10 minutes just reflecting together about those things. And hopefully you online can do the same. Comments or questions coming out of that? Anyone have? You know, I think this is, this is such an important quality for us to grow in because I mean, you only have to look at the world around us as to how angry people are and how knee-jerk their reactions are. And whether that's out in the community, whether it's online, you know, in social media, but there's a lot of pent-up aggression. And, um, you know, it's, it's James who says, let everyone be, every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. <laughs> And yet we got we got people who are just full of anger, and and I know as you think about, you know, am I quick to anger, slow to anger? And and you want to say, well, it depends. It depends what I'm dealing with. It depends what's going on. It depends, you know, how much stress I'm under. Um, depends what my spiritual life is like. Well, of course, all of that's true. But that's something you have some control over. And sometimes we just neglect those things until we're in a bit of a mess and I need someone to get me out of these things, please God, because I'm just feeling overwhelmed. Now, I put this, you know, the cut back up, recognition that, you know, the behavioral, you know, the outbursts, the temper are symptoms of what's in the cup. When you see an, an angry person, understand that's a hurting person. They may not be in touch with their hurt because we go to anger so quickly. But like we said last week, we're trying to understand that when needs go unmet, it triggers pain. And this can then cause anger. That's why we get angry. But realize this for yourself. It's your responsibility to take care of your cup. And you can't blame people and say, well, I'm just under so much stress and pressure that I overreacted. I'm sorry. Well, that may be very true. But the question is, am I taking care of my emotional state? All that we're doing over these weeks is about this very thing. Because we have to become, I think the Lord wants us to become a people who have capacity to absorb and to be a, a non-anxious presence in that sense, to be a different. But that won't happen without our working on this, both in terms of emptying painful emotion. They're going to happen. But do, again, this is, why, <laughs> this is why we keep harping on about having close, intimate relationships with people who can help me work through my stuff, because you can't remove any of this on your own. You need people. Seriously. Um, and so it's really, am I investing myself in relationship so that when the stuff hits the fan, I'm better prepared? Because it will. Things will happen. Things will go wrong. And it's in those moments that, you know, our true colors are on show. And our true colors are meant to be somewhat Christ-like. But this emotional realm plays into that. And so it's super important that we actually get skilled at, both for ourselves, learning to process emotion, emptying the cup of the painful, in order that we can fill it with the positive. 
I mean, that's the goal. It's not an empty cup. No, it's a full cup. But is it full of love, joy, peace, hope, patience, gentleness, kindness, all of the things, you know, we hear about. But that's the fruit of relationship, communion with God and his people. So, yeah, mini sermon over. <laughs> I just think this is, this is vital stuff. And, and often we don't do anything about it in the church. We just teach doctrine and expect people to behave themselves. And they don't. I got a text from somebody today. Your church. <laughs> and tells me everything that's wrong with my church. I said, well, I'm not sure it's as bad as that. But to be honest, it's not my church. Their cup was running over. Blessings of being a pastor, you see? Yeah. No stress. No stress. <laughs> well, you know, I feel for people in that situation because, you know, they're disturbed. And God doesn't want us to live in a disturbed place. We will have disturbances, and but then we, we take them to the Lord and to his people and experience healing and kind of renewed perspective to keep in this place of hopefulness and joy. It's real stuff, this, folks. So dealing with anger. How do we deal with anger in other people when we come across it? How's that going? So first point, realize anger comes from hurt. This is a, this is a super important thing. As I said, the person may not realize that, but it's true. Hurt often leads to anger. So if we're going to deal with the anger, we've also got to deal with the hurt. That is the key point of this. A gentle answer turns away wrath. This is Proverbs. But a harsh word stirs up anger. So a gentle answer. So what, what does that sound like? What is a gentle answer? What, is, what does he mean by that? I would suggest that your words are more comforting than combative because you want to comfort the pain that's causing the anger. And so how do I address the hurt rather than the anger? What would harsh words be like? Well, harsh words are words that address the anger very often. For instance, I'm so sick and tired of being sick and tired of the whole mess of the situation. If things don't change around here, there's going to be hell to pay. Excuse my language. So here we got someone who's upset. A harsh word might be. Nothing changes, nothing changes. Oh, grow up. You're always venting your spleen. Here's a quarter, go and call someone who cares. I don't. So we're reacting to the anger and we're just stoking the flames. We make it worse. What would a gentle answer be like? Carol, give us a gentle answer. <laughs> well, I can tell that you're really upset. Um, do you want to talk about it? I'm here for you. Help me understand. Isn't that so good? <laughs> Isn't that good? Because it's invitational. It's not putting the wall up, you know, go be angry somewhere else. It's generally trying to look. There's, something, there's a story behind this. I want to hear the story. I care. I don't know. It's still, 
you know, it's still the choice of the person as to how they want to respond to that. But so the point is, don't respond to the anger, respond to the hurt that's under the anger and comfort it. Anticipate. Yeah, it's there. That may be a revelation to them. Now, this doesn't mean we just take whatever comes our way. This doesn't mean there's not a need. Um, you know, a gentle answer doesn't mean that we just take abuse from people who are angry. Not at all. And when somebody does that and particularly repeats that kind of behavior towards us, it's thoroughly appropriate and biblical to confront him or her about it. And, um, and give them some feedback. And actually, that's going to require some vulnerability about, you know, when every time that you do that, do you know how that affects me? Do you know what you're doing to me? Do you know how you're treating me? However, you would want to put that into words. But as a general principle, in most situations, we're inviting you to respond to their hurt, not to their anger. Comments? Yeah, I was just going to say when I was working in social services, that was always a challenge with a lot of us. You know, we thought it was part of the job description to take abuse, mm. and that we have to be reminded, no, it's not no. part of their no. job. Not at all. Part no. of abuse. People need to be respectful. Yeah. So a lot of times that was yeah. a real struggle. Yeah. So yeah. Say, that's all part of the job. We're, just, yeah. we're there to take a few yeah. and that's, yeah. yeah. But their key, key realization, no, it's not. And then mm -hmm. towards the zero yeah. tolerance kind of model. Then, no, we're not. We're not there. Right. It's not right. And people's behavior can be absolutely inappropriate. Yeah. And that needs to be addressed. Yeah. But understand. You're not going to be successful with that if you don't make some acknowledgement of the pain that's underneath that. Because that's where the energy is coming from. It's not just the anger, it's coming from the pain. And without some attention and care, remember, remember how we empty pain from our cup? What's the antidote? Watch it. <laughs> It's love and it's specifically comfort. Blessed are those among they shall be comforted. It's the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles and says, comfort one another with the comfort you've received because pain is the human condition. It's inevitable. This is compassion. This is empathy. And the only way we remove pain from our cup is through empathy and comfort in that sense. Words of care, reassurance, empathy. Talk, us being for someone else or other people being empathetic for us yes <laughs> in fact if you grew up like me with little or no experience of receiving or giving empathy didn't learn that generally speaking um you've got to start to receive some because as we'll see in a moment this is about stewardship of what we've received and if we've never received them, it's very hard to do this. It really is very hard to do this. Because actually, you've got to, you've got to nurture some communication in your brain <laughs> that helps you get in touch with what it feels like to have gone through what someone else went through. You've got to connect with your feelings. And some of us don't know how to do that. We're not used to doing that. We're so rational. We don't know ourselves, never mind other people. But 
This is what the Lord comes to set us free to do. It comes to empower us to do. He does it through affection, his affection towards us, I think. We had a men's breakfast yesterday morning and there's resistance amongst the men sometimes. Well, all that emotional stuff, you know, that intimate, that's for women, that's not men. Men don't do that. Of course they don't, and that's why they're in such a mess. It is cultural not to do that. But we're not wired to live like that, I would suggest. Actually, can I just talk about something that Mike mentioned earlier? Uh, do I need to stand up? Can you no, see yeah. me? <laughs> um, For the camera. When he, <laughs> when he talks about his mom and when they as boys used to get, you know, wrestling, biting, whatever, and she would grab the first thing that she could to hit them with, when we were training in this stuff and we were obviously talking about comfort and Mike struggled with it. And I remember having a conversation with him saying, well, that wasn't okay that she did that. That was actually really abusive because I mean, she would really hit them with wooden things and, you know, over the head and that kind of stuff. And I said, that was not okay. And I think he'd grown up. That was the normal and then he eventually started to get in touch with that. And it was, I think that was kind of when it helped you open up to be able to both receive comfort and to give it. But you see, most of us, our normal doesn't necessarily mean that that's okay for us. And we've got to get in touch with some truth there as, as he did. And it changed from then on. I mean, it's still difficult at times for him I'm one who's very much into giving comfort. I kind of maybe give too much comfort, but but it's a growth thing and it's a willingness to examine the pain and label it for what it is. So I didn't want to kind of gloss over that because I think that was an important Thank you. Point. Thank you. so some of that in that environment is you know we we go into self-protect mode i mean that's what the brain does but it's what we do to survive and self-protect mode is for my mother i'm never gonna let you in you're not safe i mean i wouldn't verbalize that i wouldn't think that but that was the reality so I didn't learn about internet. I didn't learn what it is to have a safe parent. I wasn't known. And um, I didn't know them either. I mean, I knew things about them and, and I now know them a lot better. But we're, we're supposed to be nurtured to live into places where we're deeply known and it's safe. And that's what everything the Lord is about. And unfortunately, people come into churches, meet Christ, believe things about him and wait for it to happen, but we don't know how to function together because we've grown up in dysfunctional families. Well, God, God makes provision in the gospel, but when we restrict it to just believing certain things, it doesn't touch the heart, it doesn't touch this stuff necessarily. This is the Spirit's work. This is actually a God who literally comes and loves us into healing.
but he does it through his people. And yet we, we've got to learn how to function with his people. It's vitally important. Um, so back to, that was her, that was last week. We've done that. Why are we doing that again? <laughs> so anger, back to angry man. Um, so be, because we, we understand it comes from hurt, it's important both for ourselves and others to understand, okay, so what did happen? Why has this happened? Actually, what are, what are the, what's the bigger picture? What are the other circumstances? Because I may be angry without really appreciating everything that's going on here. Part of, part of uh, you know, a more healthy response is understanding more about the, the situation that we're involved in here, particularly if it's another person who's triggering something. Well, why? What, what's going on here? Did they just set out to hurt me? Probably not. Nobody does. But circumstances trigger those things. So sometimes getting information and facts can help allay an over-angry response and lose control. The first to present his case seems right until another comes forward and questions him, the Proverbs say. You know, it all seems to make sense. I'm not surprised you're angry, but then somebody else comes with a different perspective and, oh yeah, there's that. Did we think about that? I've got a really good example here. And I don't know if you remember, it's about two weeks ago, Candice was sharing something in testimony time about her and Dan. They'd wanted a desk, I think, for Matthew. And they'd arranged, I guess it was Marketplace or something. And they'd arranged to go to this woman's house in Nanaimo, I think, to pick it up. And I think they'd contacted her and they'd set a time. And they'd driven out there. And she wasn't there. And, and I remember thinking, well, I think I would have been, I would have got pretty mad about that. I would have been upset. You know, they confirmed that they were coming. And I think they'd got in touch with her and she said, oh, I'm over. And I can't remember the name of the place, but it wasn't, wasn't an IMO. And she said, oh, I'll, can you come back? You know, I'll, I'll head back. And, and they said, yeah, that's fine. We'll just go and run an errand and, and we'll come back. And as they got more information, I think that the woman was moving to look after her terminally ill mother. I think that was the situation. And so you can imagine she was so stressed and here, there and everywhere. And she was selling up to move to where her mom lived. And when, when she heard that they were not upset with her, she was just so relieved. And because they'd obviously got more facts about the situation and it changed things, but uh, you know, they didn't get angry anyway. So that was pretty amazing. I thought, I think I would have got pretty angry. but just when we hear, we just don't know what people are actually experiencing do we, at times. So and really that initial compassion comfort opens the doorway for perhaps hearing some more story rather than, you know, we're just out here hammering tongs. No, actually now there's a bit of safety. Now there's some security. Now I can maybe be a bit more vulnerable. I mean, I love how we, in many ways with my dad as, as adults, I mean, not immediately, but, um, you know, I know his story. I mean, I, I understand the nature of his relationship with his father and how horrible that was. I know he, he lived in a war. I mean, his teenage years were the war years. Um, I mean, he, he was thrown, he was a village boy and he was thrown into a city where he was absolutely lost and nobody was there to mentor him, care for him, look after him. Um, 
he was kind of lost. And suddenly he's got boys to look after and, and no model, no example, no Lord. So that gives me a lot of compassion for that. I've had opportunity to comfort and care about that in his life. And that's a good thing. Um, all right. So, number three, over the page. Properly express your anger to those involved in the situation. Sorry, it's over the page on my page. might not be on yours. As well as to someone who is uninvolved. So, there is a place to properly express the fact that we're angry, frustrated, annoyed, <laughs> upset, etc. Processing that with another, not to punish, but to be understood. That can help us gain more of this understanding. Um, it requires, obviously when it's two parties trying to resolve together, um, that we hear from one another and that we understand uh, that we're, we're called to give an account for what we did. We work, we've worked in countless situations of trying to resolve conflict in the workplace and basically we get people to talk to each other about what they did to hurt each other and why. And then respond with comfort. We don't know how to do that in the church sometimes. We should be the masters of this because we're only here because of that, because of a God who, yeah, he, you know, he takes our sin, but he wants us to acknowledge our sin, to confess our sin, to be broken over our sin, and to realize that there's mercy and there's compassion and forgiveness. But he wants us to grow through that and mature. So if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. So this is in Matthew 18, where Jesus, Jesus is really talking, it's one of the few places he talks about the church, but this sense of how we manage relationships within the church. When you've got an issue, you go to your brother and you talk to him about it. I've got an issue with you. You did this and, and I'm ticked off because it hurt me or it hurt so-and-so. Why did you do that? Help me understand. And resolve it. And if you can't resolve it, Bring someone else along who may help resolve it all the time. This is not about punishment. This is about restoration. That's what God's judgment is all about. It's not, a, it's not punitive. It's not destructive. It's redemptive. It provides opportunity for reconciliation. Now, as often happens, if we're silent about it, this takes courage, doesn't it? Even to go and say to somebody, you did something that upset me with a, with a view to reconciling that and growing through that in the relationship. That takes tremendous courage. But it's vital that we do it. Rather than we just bury it. But let me tell you, I'll never trust you again. I spoke to somebody else this week in our church. Our church. Like that. Better. His church. <laughs> And um, there's just this guardedness because, because of hurt. Now there's only one or two people I'll really go and talk to. These are stalwarts of the church who ought to be set an example because we are to be people who model risk-taking. And yet what we do with our hurts is we just in, we, we take it in, uh, we 
There used to be a, an English footballer called Jackie Charlton, played for Leeds and England. And his brother was Bobby Charlton. They both played for England at the same time. And doesn't ring a bell. Anyway, Jackie Charlton is famous for saying in one of his interviews that he had a little black book and everyone who'd got to him, he wrote his name down because he was going to get back at it on the football pitch at some time. And, you know, we do that. We keep score. Love keeps no record of wrongs. But we do. Also, when we're silent, it causes people to think they got away with it. That it was okay to act like that. And they'll do it again and again. It's kind of giving them license. 007. So, when people hurt us, we are to confront them particularly in the body, particularly in our family, but lovingly. It also helps, I think, when we are confronted, when we hear about things. You see, when, you know, when Carol's angry and she tells me what a terrible person I am, I kind of go on the defensive. It's been a while, because <laughs> she typically wouldn't do that, because she'd be vulnerable about how I hurt her. And believe you me, when I hear that, I'm broken. Because, I, I, you know, I have this thing, I've messed up again, you know, terrible person. But you've got to reject that. But we're convicted when we, when we hear we've hurt somebody. If somebody gives us a judgment, oh, I can fight against that because I'm, you know. But I can't fight against your pain. I can argue with your judgment, but not with your pain. Your pain is your pain. And if I've caused it, I feel it. The Holy Spirit helps me with that. It's part of his purpose in, my, in me. And, um, and so when we engage directly, we actually create a greater sensitivity to these things in one another. And that's good. So yesterday morning we were talking about iron sharpening iron, weren't we? As iron sharpened iron, so one man, it's actually in the authors, it sharpens the countenance of another. It's a face-to-face -face thing. I love that. And, and I think this is part of what that's talking about. As we share truth in love, this reality, and yet continue to be together and walk together. I mean, that's awesome. It's beautiful. It's just too rare. But that's the journey we're on. At times, it's also helpful to share your feelings of hurt and anger with someone who was not involved in the situation. Got to be careful about this because obviously we don't go to a third party just to tell on so-and-so. Let me tell you what they've done now. Yeah. Let me tell you what a terrible person they are, why you shouldn't trust them either. <laughs> we may not use those words, but that's what we're doing. We're harming their reputation with another person because we're ticked off. That's gossip. That's triangulation. That's very unhealthy. However, sometimes a third party can be part of the solution in terms of helping me get perspective, broadening my understanding of what happened. And sometimes it might be, you've every right to be angry. What they did was wrong. Now go and tell them. I'll come with you if that will help. But it's not staying here between us two. Very disrespectful. Right. 
And so I don't always do this because it's maybe not always the right thing, but sometimes I just practice and I just say, I'm not gonna tell anybody about it because I'm not gonna give it the, I'm not gonna give it the, the license mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. to go any further than what happened. Mm -hmm. and, and so sometimes I'll do that and just say, I won't come home and say, you wouldn't believe Carol, you wouldn't believe what they did. Right, this person right. Did me. And I'll come home right. and I won't say a word. Yeah, yeah. But there are other times yeah. that I, I agree with you that I would often try and get wise counsel. Right, right. Um, of something that's mm -hmm. concerning. And some of that could be just help me get it straight in my head as to what's going on. Yeah, because you know, emotions are such a powerful force. I can't think straight sometimes. I'm so caught up in the midst of it. And I need the calming effect. This is that non-anxious presence we can be. That's why having friends, spouse, somebody who we walk with, so vital, can be so helpful. They can, give, they can remove my aloneness in the situation. They can give me comfort. All of these things contribute towards my having courage to engage, if necessary, if appropriate. You know, if it's some driver I passed on the road, that's not going to happen. Isn't it fascinating how often that's the example? Somebody upset me. This is driver. We kind of like that one because we never have to face them. I think sometimes. Because we're meant to face these things, aren't we? It's kind of interesting. Anyway. But what does the, when, when you talk about uh, addressing it um, in love. Right. Well, we, we will come to that because that's ultimately the solution. I'm kind of hinting it towards it, but we'll, we'll dig into that. So thank you for that. Just caution, like it says here, some caution about sharing with your hurt and anger with another. Beware of doing that, like I said, just to reinforce your sense of offense. To make you feel better about being angry with so-and-so. We should feel terrible about being angry with so-and-so. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's an enemy. Because the standard Jesus calls us to, the kingdom standard is so high. <laughs> but it's Jesus' standard. And any, any dissonance or fracture in relationship is painful to God. And therefore, should be to us to some extent. tell you how often it's just a little thing that takes that just has energy to it and it builds but again it builds because I let it build it builds because I don't do the right thing I, I stoke it <laughs> and I can stoke it with others but yeah when we bring it out into the light it actually loses a lot of its energy you know and we're called to walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship and the blood of Jesus cleanses us don't share with too many people. Don't go and tell the whole crowd. Because that's not, you're not really trying to get resolution there. You just want to be heard for the sake of being heard. And obviously don't share indiscriminately. So this is where, you know, having one or two people who are key people who are going to keep you on track, who are going to speak truth into your life, who are going to maybe speak prophetically. They're going to represent God to you because we need that. 
particularly in these moments. I mean, these, these are the prime moments when we get a chance to grow and see the power of God at work. We all love the power of God. Well, I would say most often it's, it's in fractured relationships God wants to show his power. Because that's, I mean, the cross was the biggest demonstration of power, and it's all about fractured relationship and how the enemy stokes that and wants to see that. And yet we release the energy of Christ into the midst of that. That's spiritual power. But, you know, we've got to foster that with some people we trust and who have integrity because we know them and we walk with them. Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all men. <laughs> he didn't just entrust himself to anyone willy-nilly. Probably wouldn't even use that expression, but I'm sure he had his own Hebrew equivalent. So, any questions or other comments about that? It's a difficult thing to do. Well, and, and, and that's, that's an insightful thing because often in that case, there's no empathy. There's no desire to hear you, to know you, to care. Well, that tells you something. And, and often, you know, people who function like that, confident, strong, directive, don't have a lot of close friends. Sadly. Yeah. But it's, it's just protection, actually. Yeah, how do we get beneath the surface? Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's why I get, keep asking the guys, ask this question of one another, how are you feeling? I mean, it's such, it's such a gateway into what's really going on in life. And of course, we don't learn how to respond. We don't know how to respond to that. I'm good. I mean, that's an adjective for goodness sake. It's not an emotion. <laughs> Or I'm fine. Yeah. Anyone need prayer? No, I'm good. <laughs> so, so we've got to persevere in that. No, seriously, I'm, I really want to know. Yeah. Yeah. Look into my eyes. And sometimes our own vulnerability is something that touches people. I mean, physically we can touch, but actually emotionally we touch people through our, our vulnerability. And, and hopefully that softens and invites people towards us. It does. It's humility, you see, and that draws. And God exalts it. But, you know, the straight arm is, is pride, basically. All right, let's take a... So um, we'll take a bit of a break as well. But there's a couple of questions I wanted you to think about. So on the back page, discussion questions, one and two. Let's look at this improper ways to express anger. So it comes down to these two things. Touched on them already. Are you a spewer or a stuffer? Do you hide or do you hurl it? You know. Sometimes families get characterized, you know, everything's out in the open. We're shouting and hollering, and the next minute, you know, everything's quiet and everybody's fine because that's how we are. 
It's when you bring a family, someone from that family with somebody from a family where nobody says anything. It's like my big fat Greek wedding. You know? <laughs> Classic example. Carol's family was a little more towards the Greek. Mine was the staid, quiet, consistent, but quiet. <laughs> so a bit of a clash of cultures. But, you know, we put a few things down here that might help you hopefully think about this. Um, you know, stuffers, hiders, difficulty admitting they're angry. And it's even hard to express it in, a, in an appropriate way because that requires vulnerability. I've actually got to talk about how I was hurt that caused me to be angry. So what do we stuffers do? We minimize the hurt. That's the only way I know how to minimize my anger is minimize my hurt so I'll be less angry. I try to rationalize it away. And if I'm going to minimize it for myself, I'm not really going to talk about it because that's, why would I do that? That's going to make it bigger than it needs to be. But that's the way I get less angry. I've got to talk about my hurt and receive comfort. We can also, um, you know, again, this is me, you know, in my earlier life. I'm still not free from it, but... You know, anger gets close to sin because you do things, bad things when you get angry. And so it's kind of, a, it's, it's hazy. But also, such a strong drive to want to be liked and approved of. So that relationally of approval, do you see something good in me? Well, if I, if I tell you I'm angry with you, chances are no. My conviction is, if I'm angry with you, you won't like me and you might not want anything to do with me. This takes place not in families, in workplaces, teams, everywhere. And the problem is we miss, we don't know. We don't know each other. We miss the truth. We miss an opportunity to grow, uh, to adjust, to change. And we're just generally uncomfortable with confrontation because we don't know where that's going to lead. We anticipate bad things. Confront that always leads to bad things because it did a whole or whatever. You know, people flew off the handle, people left, people abused, whatever it is. Um... So it, it becomes fear-driven, and that's never good. More of that in two weeks. Of course, spewers. Anyone grow up in a spewing family? Some of that? Yeah. So that's the opposite. You know, the moment you're upset, everybody knows about it. <laughs> and we tend to um, magnify a little bit things. Um, and we, we learn that kind of behavior sometimes. In fact, Carol had an incident with somebody we worked with who felt if he didn't spew and get, you know, intense and raise his voice, then he wasn't really sharing. But for someone of Carol's disposition, I mean, that just shuts you down. Mm -hmm. And that's what it did, didn't it? Yeah. And it was a revelation to him. You mean, he didn't realize. He had no idea that shouting at her was not conducive to reconciliation. He said to me, I thought I needed to raise my voice so that you would know that I was angry. And I said, no. In fact, that makes me kind of pull back from you and not want to move towards and reconcile because you're so, oh, it was, yeah, it wasn't good. But actually, I wanted to say something about a comment earlier where, and I think for me, this is what happened. I had an older brother, I have an older brother, and a younger sister. I have two younger sisters, but those two either side of me both were very, very angry, volatile, loud, 
and most of the time you know my youngest sister particularly would be having tantrums and you know just really really loud and so i think i learned i think again because of the approval need i wanted people to like me i better be quiet i better just keep it all in i better be nice better be good and so i think for years i just i did i stuffed it and pretended i wasn't angry because i used to think that angry being angry was was not not a good thing uh, because that was my model of anger and uh, and my dad used to say to him don't shout don't shout he and don't cry that kind of thing and so I was very much modeled on what my my dad wanted but I was hidden and so I think now I've kind of gone the other extreme so Mike gets to hear <laughs> it was lovely early on <laughs> it was all hidden everything was fine so life now, was calm you know I will but I'm kind of I'm, compensating for all those years when I <laughs> kept it hidden. So, yeah. But when it's hidden, we aren't together, right. actually. You know, we're under the same roof and it may seem calm and quiet, but actually we're not connected. And this is why actually hearing about each other's hurt is an opportunity for growth and for deepening of relationship. That's the way it works. Mentor, when it's when it's received well. So we want to share hurt, not anger, requires vulnerability. It's hard though, because when we're angry, our emotions are a little bit, you know, we're kind of a little bit out of control, potentially. Or, or I remember Wayne Bernard often said, well, if we ever got to talk about it, we'd all just burst out crying now, you know, because actually there's just a lot of unresolved pain. That's the problem. And so the moment we get close to anything, you know, this avalanche and so it's just an indication, well, there's probably some more pain to share. A fool gives vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. So, obviously avoid taking it out on somebody else who had nothing to do with hurting you. Kick the dog. Don't become passive aggressive. This is, you know, this is me, because my early days, one of my personality traits was high dominance. I, I, I like control. It's the way I managed, you know, early on. But I'm, but I'm low on aggression in terms of owning my anger. And those things are a lethal combination. I need to get my way, but I can't tell you how I'm really feeling. So I go around the houses. I get my way, but I do it passive aggressively. And that just compounds the problem. Because I'm alone for one thing, but I hurt people. So rather than meeting your needs, I just don't, I withhold. Rather than following through on commitments, I don't. But I don't say anything about it. I don't turn up on time to things. Be careful about those things. Um, obviously verbally abusing people by saying hurtful things. <laughs> Let's not do that. Attack another's character or obviously become violent. And um, But this is what anger can trigger. Good point about children, or probably for most of us grandchildren. Um, really important, you know, when, when kids are acting out, they're just feeling stuff. It's the only thing they need to do, the only way they know how to express themselves. Part of our job is to help them connect with what they're feeling and express it and give comfort. What we tend to do, we're unhappy about what's happening, particularly if it's in public and there's a meltdown happening. And we, we unfortunately miss it entirely. And uh, we've got to find ways. Part of nurturing this in children is helping them understand what's going on inside of them. 
and they're just behaving age appropriate. There's nothing wrong with what they're doing. It's our job as parents and grandparents to help them process their emotions well. And we often want to just fix the behavior. Quit your crying. Get yourself up off the floor. Stop screaming because it's upsetting me. And it's also, I think you made reference to it, how am I going to look in public? Uh, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. Rather than caring for the child. So, So, um, as Ken... Sorry, it's not my kid, yeah. I'm wandering away. Yeah. Oh, look at that kid over there. <laughs> right. Um, well, can I ask a question about speaking the truth in love? So Ephesians 4.15. Um, this is how we grow. It's really, the, the context for this is, you know, understanding our connections, the relationships. It's understanding we're all called and gifted. We're all called to do the work of ministry in terms of serving each other's needs. And, um, and a part of this is, is truth. It's actually literally truthing in love, speaking the truth in love. This is how we grow. This is how the body builds up. It's how a family builds up, any community, relationship, etc. We've got to handle truth. Laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And this be angry and yet do not sin, don't let the sun go down your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. So when we're angry and respond inappropriately, we're actually, that thing I spoke about this month, we're giving jurisdiction back to the enemy. We're giving him power. It's dangerous. As well as grieving the Holy Spirit. So, Speak the truth in love. This is to be our mantra, I think. So, like I've said, when we're angry, we need to express it. We need to talk about nothing spiritual about taking it on the chin and keeping quiet. Nothing whatsoever. Now, that's not to say we fight every battle and make an issue out of everything, but we speak. What is going on? But we also speak truth. So, and only truth. Don't embellish it. Don't exaggerate. Distort. Or speak only the bits of truth that reflect well on you. Own all of it. We shouldn't be afraid of truth. Why are we afraid of truth? It's a good philosophical question, isn't it? Write an essay on that. Let me know what your thoughts. <laughs> and speak the truth in love. So just because we've got truth doesn't mean it's a license to kill. I'm right, and therefore I'm taking your life from you. No. You know, we use truth to be sensitive and caring. We use truth to, uh, you know, not respond with unwholesome words. We speak the truth in love, which means we can be vulnerable with our reality, but we can also not respond in kind. Because love does that. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. Love doesn't react in that way. So part of that is... You know, get to the point quickly. Don't keep going, you know, going around the houses. 
be focused in on what we're talking about and be confidential. That can be hard sometimes, can't it? When, uh, when again, some of, some of the way we've got to do this is in a place where we're not at the height of our emotional state. Remember what I said first session, you know, the, the window of tolerance. We, we've got to be functioning in a space where we're, we're kind of um, taking charge of our emotional condition. When it's leading the charge, we're in trouble. So you, you've got to bring that under control. And that may mean you've got to take a bit of time, <laughs> got to go and breathe, whatever it is that helps you get back to a space where you're not uh, overreacting or over-emotional in that sense, because that can compound and make it very difficult. But in that space, um, be honest, be, be focused, be vulnerable, invite, you know, we're, we're trying to move towards reconciliation. Uh, we're not pointing the finger. We're just opening up our heart a little bit and letting people see us as we are. But we're inviting movement towards each other. We're not standing over here and there's a wall between us and we're lobbing things over. No, we're, we're moving towards. Any thoughts about that? Any questions? Which of these three are you most likely to violate? <laughs> Getting to the point quickly, sticking to the issue at hand, being confidentially what you say. In other words, not talking about it with anyone and everyone, but with the person you're trying to be reconciled with. See, sometimes when something happens, we can start bringing in all these other things that we've got in our little black book. <laughs> Remember Jackie Charlton? He died recently, actually. It's very sad, but anyway. Great point. Great point. Yes. Yeah. And and that plays out in all sorts of things, but I need to be right. Well, I need my way. I need to prove you wrong. You know, we often talk about that in terms of you know, this continuum within church life between right belief and right behavior. Because some churches, you can't belong unless you believe exactly as we believe uh, or behave exactly as we behave. And yet God doesn't seem to put those as priorities. He puts right relationship. That is the most, you protect that, which means there has to be room for differing beliefs. I mean, last year I had, I had somebody get so upset, leave the church, because I referenced somebody, a theologian, that he didn't fully agree with. I said, I don't fully agree with him, but what he shared here was really meaningful. But you've introduced heresy into the church. Are you kidding me? 
So do we make right relationship? In other words, we're willing to let go of some of our strongly held positions for the sake of this relationship. We have a slight issue of that at the moment with regard to masks. Let's be honest. There are different views about that. I understand that. I don't particularly like them. But there are people who are fearful and anxious because they come in here and there are people unwilling to wear a mask and they're wondering about talking to people because we think, like others recently, we're not going to get hit by this. But that's not the point. The point is love for the brethren. You know, Paul says, better to be wronged. You know, position yourself for the, the weaker brother. You may feel you've got freedom to do anything, but that's not the point. It's, it's about love for your brother. And that's some of what Ken's referencing. That's some of what we've got to learn and grow into. When we see and understand that we're members of one another. We belong to one another. Or we're meant to. That's how God sees us. So, quickly, just to conclude, helpful hints on how to speak the truth in love. I love this. Be approachable. Are you approachable? Is it easy to talk to you? Do you have a smile on your face more than a frown? You know, that's a biggie. I know that's a biggie for Carol because that's affection, actually. It's, you seem to like being with me. <laughs> um, but what, what kind of energy comes off of you? Think about that. Um, do we give permission for people to share the truth? That's part of being approachable. You know, if I say or anything, do anything that upsets you, please just come and tell me about it. If, you know, if there's any way I can help, much rather we talk. You know, there are things we can do and we can say. Doesn't mean you have to agree with them. Doesn't mean you have to change your thinking necessarily. Maybe you do, though. Are you willing? And, um, you know, when we, when we appeal to lines of authority, you know, we would get this often. We work with this business owner and we're trying to introduce these principles as well. Authority comes through respect and love, actually. People will follow you over a cliff if you love them. But from time to time, he would say, we're going to do this because I own this company. And I would say, you can do that. You have power to do that. You've lost them, though. It's short-term gain. But when we appeal to you know, the classic, you'll do it because I say so. I'm your father. That is appeal, an appeal to position. That is not very approachable. God told me we should do this. That is not very approachable. Now, if I say, you know, I've really sensed that the Lord's said this and perhaps inviting us, what do you sense? That's a little bit different. Nobody has the corner on truth. So don't, you know, with parents, parent-child, but with pastors, I mean, pastors who think they have authority to dictate. I don't know where you get that from. Well, I do. But it should not be so among you, Jesus says. So be approachable. Define what in love means for significant people in your life. So that's just a case of how would you like us to talk about something? If, if I'm upset... How, how can we best talk about that? When? In what place? In public? In front of your friends? <laughs> in front of the kids? <laughs> at 11 o'clock at night? I mean, often last night, we're going to bed. I asked Carol a question. 
don't ask me that question now. I'm going to sleep. And I'm a bit wired, you know, you know, there's questions in my mind. I want to talk about those things. <laughs> but that's that's being caring and compassionate, thinking about the person that you're with. Oh, what's my um, where am I at? Where am I at? Well, what love means. Yeah. All right. So that's kind of understanding, knowing each other, knowing each other's needs, knowing rhythms, etc. Think about, you know, talk about with, you know, what does in love mean to you? What does it mean to be truthful in love? That's a great conversation for friends or spouses to have together. For parents to have with children and then of course ultimately anger has to be forgiven you know we are offended but if we take offense we're no better than the offender that's kind of challenging isn't it when we take it and hold on to it and allow it to define us you our relationship he says, no, forgive. Forgive your brother. How many times? Seven times? Well, no, there's no real limit to this. We are to be a forgiving people because that is the only way we get anger out of our cup. But the first step is to speak the truth in love about it. Not to hide that. That requires some element of vulnerability and confrontation. But then the second step is to forgive. And what hopefully helps us do that is we receive some care and comfort for the pain that was caused. That helps us because we're receiving something that we need. That's empowering to us. Now, sometimes we're hurt circumstantially, not because deliberate, you know, somebody set out to hurt us, just something happened. And we feel frustrated. There's some examples there. So forgiveness isn't always necessarily when I'm angry. Sometimes it's just a matter of processing the disruption in my life with somebody. But at the end of the day, it's a choice we have to make a function of our will, and we'll rarely feel like doing it because of the flesh. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. That, that word get rid of, it, it has this idea in the Greek of taking it away, carrying it off, removing it from the equation, taking it out of the situation. And so a part of forgiving is to let go of the offense. I don't hold that against you. I was holding it and I let it go. Like I said earlier, forgiveness is also a matter of stewardship. Forgive each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So this is where the power to forgive comes from. The measure with which we've been forgiven. Jesus told one or two parables about this. He gave sort of ratios of how much God has forgiven us and 
that we struggle with forgiving the little, the one who has upset us. And he's showing how absurd that is, but actually how dangerous that is. Because not only do you lose God's forgiveness, but you're put in a place you can never make amends. I'm going to put, you'll be put in prison until he pays every penny. And it's a man he could never pay back. You see, it's grace. I'm the beneficiary of grace, but if I don't become a grace giver, I lose, the, I lose it for myself as well. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, Jesus taught us to pray. But it's remembering that the perpetrator may not deserve your forgiveness. That's not the issue. They may not even feel bad about it. They may not be around to feel bad about it or communicate about it. It's a gift you get to give people. But actually, you get to give yourself as well. Because where to forgive, irrespective of whether the offender is asking. This is hard, isn't it? I mean, this is where we need an experience of the goodness of God. This is where we need a, a slightly fuller cup of positive emotion <laughs> and gratitude. And this came up the other week, wasn't it, when you asked about, sometimes we're in a place where we're not in a position to do that. And, you know, we talked about from the cross, Jesus forgives, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's, it's an extraordinary act of mercy in the face of tremendous suffering. It's, it's beyond our imagination in many ways. But the consequence of not doing that is, is real. And our forgiveness is not to be conditional. God forgives with no strings. I think it's pretty sad sometimes when you watch the news and you see these situations where someone's been murdered and everybody's in court and, uh, and then they're interviewing people you know, after the person's been sentenced or whatever. And they oh, I hope they fry in hell. And it just, it's so sad because you, you know it's going to hurt them more. In the long run, for that unforgiveness, just hanging on to that rather than you know forgiving, even though the, the perpetrator didn't ask for forgiveness. But yeah, it's so sad when you see these interviews and just the anger and just there's just that sense of yeah, I hope they fry and, and just yeah, you know it's gonna just ultimately just eat them away and destroy them if they don't yeah. forgive. And, and then there are times when these do. The odd time when they do interview someone says, yeah, I, do, I, I forgave them. And it's like, what? But so often the media does, portrays it differently. Like, yeah, we want to see this. And justice mm. being done. And, but yeah, that unforgiveness is just, yeah, it's so sad. You just see what it's going to do to that family in that situation. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Now, in that kind of situation, we may look on and think, well, they're not saved. And there's truth to that. Uh, in other words, they've not come into a knowledge of the Father's love and an experience of his mercy. But you see, in the church, we struggle to forgive as well. And it may be, I don't know, but have you really experienced God's forgiveness? Or are you living trying to be good enough? Are you living with a half a sense of what the gospel really is about? Because when the gospel really touches us, when we understand the generosity of God and my utter unworthiness for what he has lavished upon me, like we were saying this morning, 
it, is, it ought to trigger generosity within us. But very often, the struggle to do that is because there's an incomplete experience or reality of that. This is the fullness of the Spirit. This is, this is the gift of the Spirit, which he brings both power and motivation, I think, to want to do this and to live like this. And a, and a, and a sense of assurance of sins forgiven. Shame and guilt removed. This is why this is a stewardship thing. But it may be that we're still locked up in a bit in our pain, both with God and with people. And when people are struggling to forgive, it's not a case of, you've got to forgive, the scriptures say so. We've got to think, well, there's maybe more comfort. Maybe the pain, the energy of the pain is still too great. That's real. And it's particularly important to pay attention to that in close relationships. I've had people say to me, their spouse needs to forgive me. And there's an utter disconnect with the amount of pain they've caused. It's almost shocking. Because that's a scary place to go, to realize I've caused pain. But it's not beyond redemption. But again, it comes back to the heart of the gospel. You know, this, this is why we, we can't try to teach this sort of behavior without the fullness of the life of God and an orientation towards the kingdom of heaven. Because this is about the king. I'm doing this for him ultimately, not for me. So I'm doing it out of obedience and loyalty, but I'm doing it because he's loved me so much. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, somehow this love of God gets perfected in us. And so again, God has treated us so, so significant, our relationships with one another and the need to be to reconcile to the extent that we are capable, you know, because it depends upon two, but we do everything that's within our power. And for that, we choose to forgive, which is giving a gift. But not without sharing how much we've been hurt. Because it's not just about resolving the past. It's how do we build going forward? How do we rebuild trust? Well, there's got to be some acknowledgement of what went wrong to do that. And, but we'd rather not face that. But that's part of your growth. And it's covered, by, it's covered by the cross. It's covered by the blood. Anyway, our time is up. And um, like I said at the beginning, this is not particularly rocket science or new stuff. Most of us are somewhat familiar with this. But the dynamics of it are very hard and challenging. And it's kind of the road less traveled. Any read Scott, Scott Peck's book? And that's all about, well, it begins by this notion of pseudo-community and real community. And, and you only get to real community through chaos, through the darkness through this. And unfortunately, when we, we enter into that dark place, we pull back and settle for pseudo, the superficial. Peace, peace, where there is no peace. We do it in marriages, we do it in families, we do it in churches. And um, it's not enough. <laughs> it's not real. It's not speaking the truth in love. And so um, 
you know, my heart is that we get practiced at this and good at this, which means we start taking risk with one another, which means even as men, we've got to press into intimacy. Because <laughs> that's just letting you know me, which is part of the telling you about my pain. Because big boys do cry. Jesus wept. All right. Um, please, you know, ponder this. Um, work with your journeymate, partner, friend. Talk about the stuff the Lord's provoking. Um, use some of these questions. Um, and do a bit of an inventory with each other. We just did a little bit of that in the break. Well, I did, you know, <laughs> again. <laughs> but it's helpful, you know. If we love one another, it's helpful. Don't, don't be fearful of this, you know. It will strengthen and build something much richer. Let's pray. Father, we, we just thank you for your forgiveness for us. Thank you that you don't treat us as our sins deserve, Lord, but you show mercy. You absorb evil and suffering. Jesus, we can't imagine what it cost you and how that felt. But grant us a measure of revelation and uh, an entering into that, that we might know in the depth of our being how much you love us. And so, Lord, may we be compelled to be those who, who enter this journey from anger to peacemaking in order to grow ourselves, grow this community, grow our families, our marriages, to be a place of healing and transformation, Lord, that this would spill out into this community, Lord, which is fractured and hurting, but for which you've made provision through the gospel. So let your kingdom come, Lord. Let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen.